Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Wayne Mullins, you are the CEO and founder of Ugly Mug Marketing in Central Louisiana that can be found at UglyMugMarketing.com. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Doug. I'm excited for our chat today. Yeah. So tell me, t- tell me about, let's start with you. Tell me, tell, tell me about your background. How do you, how do you get to where you are today? Yeah, I guess that, uh, you know, my entrepreneurial journey really began when I was young. Um, for whatever reason, I just had this bend towards, you know, doing stuff with business, trying to figure out ways to make money from a young age. I remember for Christmas, back when I was growing up, baseball cards were a a big thing. That's what everyone wanted. So got some baseball cards. And then as you probably remember from those days, um, everyone had their favorite team or their favorite players. And so you would try to collect either your team or your favorite players. Well, after I'd collected mine out of the extra cards, uh, naturally, some of my friends would find their favorite players or their favorite teams in there. And so I would then barter with my friends. I would trade them the baseball cards they wanted in exchange for aluminum or tin cans. So I would then go take those aluminum cans and go sell them at a recycling facility and make a little bit of money off of those. So that was my very first <laughs> foray into business. Wow. Probably about nine or 10 years old. That is, that is pure entrepreneurialism. Yeah. I don't know that my parents really like that too much. You know, they'd give me all the cards and then I was taking them and indirectly selling them for tin cans, but Hey, that, that was the beginning. And, you know, through high school, through college, I always either uh, had a lawn care company or I was working in construction. Um, I was just always fascinated with business. And, you know, in college, one of the the best things I actually did during college was I went and applied or, or put in my resume with a temp agency. And the whole thing I wanted to do with that during the summer was I wanted to get to experience different types of businesses. Um, and so most of those, I was end up doing manual labor, but enabled me to work in a variety of industries and really just kind of get to experience what it would be like if I decided to pursue a path maybe in that particular industry. What did you learn from that experience? Well, I learned that uh, I really did not want to work out in the heat in Louisiana long-term. <laughs> that was number one. And the very first job that they sent me to was unloading the back of an 18-wheeler full of tires for oh. cars. It was the middle of the summer. It was hot. It was really hot inside that the back of that truck. Um, so that that's what I learned. But also, I got to learn really what it was like... Um, you know, so I was my degree while I was uh, studying management and marketing. And so, you know, in class, you would hear a lot about theories of management and dealing with people. And then when you're in these environments where I was, you know, I was just a temp worker, but I got to witness from an outsider's perspective, kind of ingrained in the business, how managers, how leaders, what the interaction looked like between, you know, the, the manual labor force and the 
I guess you call it the management or the blue collar force within those organizations. And so honestly, that experience really taught me a lot about management and leadership just through observation. Wow. And that's a great lesson at such a young age, too. I mean, you're in college studying theory and then get to see it play out in real life. And, and I, I, I suppose that you there was a disconnect. What you were learning in college did not <laughs> comport with what you saw in, in action. <laughs> yeah, I, I did notice that. And, um, you know, what, what's so interesting, I, I think about this often is that, you know, the best theory in the world, the best strategy in the world, the best tactic in the world is meaningless if you're unwilling to implement it. And if you're unwilling to adjust based on the feedback that you receive after you begin implementing that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from my perspective, I see this time and time again in working with entrepreneurs and working with business leaders. It's that uh, we buy into a particular strategy or a particular process or particular framework, if you will, right. so wholeheartedly that we're unwilling to then second guess or even question the feedback that we're getting as a result of implementation. So that has been for me, um, one, I, I observed that, but two, I've had to also learn that the hard way over the years yeah. of entrepreneurship. Yeah, I teach, a, I teach a graduate class called Decision-Making Under Stress and Conflict at uh, Pepperdine University in Malibu. And when I'm teaching my students about decision-making, the last question I teach, teach them to always ask is, what if I'm wrong? And and always, always, always second guess. Always ask yourself, what if I'm wrong? What am I missing here? What if yeah, I'm completely and everything, all our assumptions are completely wrong? Then, then what happens? It's a, it's a beautiful question, Doug, because for me in my journey, I wish I could tell you, you know, I, I observed that I had it all figured out. But, you know, so often for me personally, my ego comes into play, right? And I'm supposed to be the one with the answers. I'm the one who has studied this, quote unquote, I've read the books on this, I've, you know, gotten advice from great people. And so for me, I often end up tripping over my own ego in these situations. That's a hard one. And especially when you when you found a company, and you've got employees, and you're at the at the at the top, and people are kind of giving you a lot of nods and genuflections, because you're the CEO. It's, it's pretty hard not to avoid reading your own press releases. You know, yeah, and and it's that's, something you have to really fight against to keep that humility. And, yeah. and that's a that's a tough that's tough. You have to. I mean, that takes a lot of self awareness, I think, for people to be able to do that. One of the one of the lessons, kind of in that same area, that that I have to constantly work on, is um, the need to. I don't know if you'd call it hear myself, or the need to make my opinions known. So every single week in our team, uh, we have a team meeting every single week. And what we do is we present our goals for the week, the things that we committed to for that week. And then we offer those up for feedback from other people. And I'm having to train myself and I, I've been working on this for years because I'm a slow learner apparently, but you know, there's things that I can see that I could point out that I could very quickly tell people on the team, Hey, you know, you should look at this or you should do it this way, or you should do it that way. But instead, I'm having to learn to bite my tongue to allow other people on my team to step up and learn to challenge, learn to question. And, you know, for me, knowing that I could quickly and easily give someone the answer um, is a frustrating process, learning to watch other people struggle through that decision-making process. But it is frustrating. And yet, 
it's extremely productive because you're teaching and training and coaching and watching people grow. And you find out, well, is this person willing to grow? Is this willing person willing to expand their, their thinking? And if so, then it's somebody you want to keep. And if, if not, then you have to decide how long do I want to keep investing in this person? So it's so much easier to do the work yourself when you know what to do. And it's so much harder to slow down and have other give the chance, opportunity to other people and watch them make mistakes and sort of cringe. <laughs> you know, oh my God, what do we do? Yeah. yeah, I think that and I wholeheartedly agree. And allowing people to make those mistakes. I mean, there's been numerous things where I could have stepped in and prevented the mistakes. Now, again, obviously I'm not talking about something that's going to jeopardize a client or, you know, jeopardize massive amounts of money, but learning to allow them to fail, even if it's going to cost us a little bit of money so that they can learn to work through that thing. And, you know, I see the same thing with, you know, I've got four kids and allowing them to experience those failures, allowing them to work through those things, even though we could easily as parents step in and save them some bumps and some bruises and some scars, um, just to allow them to exercise their ability to figure out in situations what to do, how to do it, and how to solve those problems. Yeah. And it's the failure that gives you the confidence because you get through the failure and the pain of it, and you pick yourself up and do it again. And eventually you realize that failure is just a part of life. And, yeah. and it, it's not completely devastating. Tell us a little bit about your company, uh, Ugly Mug Marketing. Pretty interesting name. Yeah, so Ugly Mug Marketing was born uh, just over 14 years ago. Um, I had started a, a previous company. And over the course of about a three-year period, I grew that company fairly quickly. And you know, it was as a result of that growth that I started having entrepreneurs from the community come to me and say, hey, we see your growth. We see how quickly you're growing your business. What are you doing? And the answer, Doug, was always marketing. We're doing a very specific type of marketing. And so that led into some consulting around marketing, which eventually kept growing and got to the point where I said, you know, this could be a full-time thing. So I put the other business up for sale and sold it and then started this full time. Wow. So so you're a full 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 throttle marketing agency in central Louisiana? We are. We we do everything from web development to, you know, social media marketing to traditional marketing from television, radio, print, all that kind of stuff. And what do you think what do you think is unique about what you personally bring to the business and to your clients? I would say that we are so solely focused on results. Now, I know that's very cliche and I know that's what everyone says, um, but we are so committed to the results of our clients that we tell them, give us two months. So when we're starting a relationship, give us two months. If at the end of two months, you are not convinced that we are heading in the right direction, meaning you're not on the path to a positive ROI off of what you're spending with us and what you're spending on ad spend or whatever it may be. We don't want to continue. Like we don't want your money. We don't want to lock you into a long-term contract. We are solely focused on results. Now, the, the beauty of saying that is it is appealing, but the downside to saying that and living that is it requires way more effort. It requires way more work than merely checking some check boxes off and merely reporting what we would call vanity metrics, you know, reach, impressions, engagement, Clicks. all these vanity. Yeah. So, yeah, because at the end of the day, if you're putting your money where your mouth is, which is, sounds like you're doing, people have got to make money. Yeah. 
they've got to they've got to see that the money they've invested with you is turning them an X return on investment, or it's not it's not worth it. But that also means then that the people that you choose to work with, you're probably pretty selective, um, because if you hire a company that's not well managed or is not doing well to begin with, no amount of marketing is going to help them. Yes, so you have to, that you have to be a little choosy, I imagine. We have to be choosy, but we also have to understand that oftentimes when people come to us for quote unquote marketing help, that often that's symptomatic. There's often something else below the surface that may be leading them to believe they have a marketing problem. And so we very often find ourselves in conversations around things that are not directly marketing related, right? So we have sometimes conversations about pricing of products. We have conversations sometimes around um, managing of team, you know, leading your team, uh, conversations about customer service, customer support. So we know that what we have to do in order to succeed with this quote unquote marketing piece is we really have to be almost like business advisors and we have to be willing and able to diagnose other things that may be more of root causes that are leading to these symptoms around marketing. So you're, you really are a business consultancy firm. How, how, do, how do your clients receive that information? They're, they're coming to you for marketing and then you're saying, well, really your problem is in your management style or something like that. How, how, do, the clients, how do clients receive that? Well, I mean, again, it goes back to what you said. We are selective and we're very transparent up front. So in other words, we're willing to tell you, look, most agencies are going to try to lock you into a six-month or a 12-month contract. We're not going to require that. We, You can leave at any point. I mean, you just give us, say, hey, I'm, I'm done and we'll end the relationship. So because we're willing to take that risk on you, we may have to sometimes have conversations that are slightly uncomfortable. And so it's just that transparency up front. It's setting the expectations up front that, you know, this is not a magic bullet. You're not going to come to us today and tomorrow, next month, next year, whatever, you're going to be 20 X where you are today. I'm not saying we can't get phenomenal results. We're about results, but it's about ensuring that we understand where they're coming from, what their expectations are, what's realistic, because what's realistic for company A in the same industry as the company and company B, maybe two completely different things based on lots of other factors. Huh, interesting. So let's pivot to listening. I'm a, I'm a, this show is called Listening with Leaders and I'm all about listening. How important is listening to you personally and to you in the business? I would say that listening is the, probably the number one underrated skill in not just business, but life in general. You know, as someone with four kids, um, my wife and I have been married for 20 years, listening in, even inside the family dynamic is probably the most underrated skill that I have as a husband, as a father, and as something that we hope to instill, hope to teach our kids how to listen well. And, and in business? The absolute same thing there. Um you know, we often, you know, it's the, the very cliche saying that we often listen to respond instead of listening to understand. And, you know, I think the other part of listening where, where I've had to really hone my skills is listening to the thoughts in my head, listening to those thoughts and deciding whether or not that is a thought worth pursuing or not. And let me give you one specific example, because this just came up. We have a relatively new employee 
Uh, she's been with us for three and a half months now. And she is sitting, we have kind of a, a big table and I sit at one side of the table and she just happens to come sit at the table with me. So every day we're working literally side by side. And the other day she was on her phone doing something and I wasn't really paying attention. But when the next distraction time, as we would call it, came around, she says, I just want to let you know that I wasn't playing on my phone. I was actually posting something for a client on their Instagram page. And I said, Lily, I, I didn't question you. I didn't second guess you because the thought in my head a few years ago would have been, they're probably playing on their phone. They're probably not doing what they should be doing. But I've had to learn to question those thoughts when they pop in my head. And I've had to learn to always assume the positive. I had to learn to always assume that there's a reason for trust there, not for suspicion. That's an interesting way to look at it. And and how are you on that today? I'm, I'm a work in progress, Doug. I'm a work in progress. <laughs> I, I've gotten much better. Uh, to be honest with you, I've gotten much better. We have, again, to do what we do, we have very high expectations. Um, the expectation level here in our company is extremely high because at the end of the day, our clients hold us through our promises to a very high level. Right. And so over the years, though, I've had to learn to attempt to default my inner dialogue to trust rather than to suspicion around my team. Hmm, interesting. Um, yeah, I, you know, the point that you make about what's going through, fl flitting through your head, a lot of times people have a hard time listening because they get distracted. Somebody says something to them and it creates an emotional trigger or, or a cascading set of thoughts or associations. And all of a sudden they're not listening anymore. They're following the rabbit down the rabbit hole. And I think people have a, 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 a lot of people have a lot of difficulty with that um, and learning how to not be distracted. And to your point, to learn how to trust and not make assumptions based on external behavior, but just assume that all is well is, um, is really a, a powerful, a powerful tool to have uh, because it, Lily probably now feels like you, you trust her. And when you trust her, she's going to be loyal to you and to the company. And I think that's a yeah, big. I, yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think though, by default society, we've been conditioned to be suspicious, right? I mean, you look at anything in the media and it's always accusations right. against the other side as to why you can't trust whatever the issue is. Right. You can't trust the other side. And so, you know, the way I view it is that, you know, when, when people come to be a part of our team, they've come with a lot of, and I'm going to use this term very loosely, but they've come with a lot of baggage in terms of the way they think business or offices operate. And it's, it's through no fault of their own. It's through just observation of the way most organizations operate. It's through what is taught in schools sometimes. And so sometimes I have to, to remind myself that my job is to help educate and to help bring us to a place of high trust, which I'm a firm believer that um, you know in the society we live in and in the relationships that we have, whether work or non-work, Having a high trust relationship is a rarity today. It and is. yet that is what we are trying to foster 
in our organization. I have a term I have a term that I use called listening others into existence, where you literally listen people into existence. And I've found that when you use this set of skills that I teach, that um, the trust you're talking about follows. You can build instant trust, loyalty, and rapport with your people by listening to them. And the, and the secret for me is not listening to the words, but listening to their emotions, paying attention to what they're feeling in the moment. And when you can do that, everything changes. It becomes really powerful. That's something you can try with your kids. You know, you, If your kid's having an emotional moment, say, hey, you're really happy right now. Or if they're sad, say, no, you're really sad right now. And just watch what happens. It's really, really quite powerful. Um, so what's what's the future hold for you? You look like you're you're old enough to be a mid-career. What do you get? What's next? What's the next exciting thing is going to be going on in your life? I have the most boring answer you'll probably ever get, Doug, and that is I am an incrementalist. Okay. So I'm just a firm believer that every single day that we should be getting a little better. And so I say we, I'm I'm referring to my team, I'm referring to my family, um, and to myself. I'm a huge believer in this idea of, you know, the most difficult person that you or I will ever lead is the person who looks back at us in the mirror every single morning. And so for me, it's it's this journey of learning to lead myself well. It's this journey of full ownership of my self-leadership, um, not so that I can arrive at some destination, not so that I can say, hey, look at me, you know, look at how well I lead or manage myself, but so that I can, I believe, stand in confidence and demonstrate to those around me the importance and the power of that, of learning to lead ourselves well. I, I firmly believe that if entrepreneurs and leaders would first focus on learning to lead themselves well, so many of their quote unquote management or leadership problems at the office would fall away. Because what we quickly realize is so many of those problems aren't really problems. They're more so about the person in the mirror. That's right. So you just very elegantly described what I call the four dimensions of leadership. One of the four dimensions. So you can lead up. You can lead sideways to your peers. You can lead down to your subordinates. But most importantly, you have to lead yourself. Because if you don't lead yourself, then nobody's going to follow you. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really important. And that means in, in terms of leading yourself is looking at yourself objectively, as difficult as that is, and growing, constantly seeking out growth opportunities. How can yeah, I? For, yeah, I was going to say uh, J the Johari window. Um, if you're not familiar with it, you know, for anybody listening, Google it, look it up. But basically it shows that, you know, there are things that are unconscious to us that other people can see. Right. So there's, there's things about myself as a leader, as a husband, as a father that I'm unaware of that could be hindering my ability to lead my team, to lead my kids, to be a good spouse to my wife. Right. There are things that other people can see that I can't see. The problem we run into is that we often surround ourselves with people who are unwilling to tell us the uncomfortable truths we need to hear. <laughs> right. And, for me, I have always believed in hiring a coach. So depending on what I'm working on in that particular season, I want a coach who's going to tell me the brutal truth, right? I want a coach who's going to point out the things to me that are tripping me up that I don't even realize are tripping me up. 
Yeah. And I, I believe that is such a such an important thing that we I think it was Carl Jung, Jung, Carl Jung. Saying it wrong? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Who said, until we make the unconscious conscious, we will continue failing and call it fate. I probably butchered that slightly, but basically until we make that unconscious conscious, we're going to believe it's just our destiny to continue down that same path, making those same mistakes or capped in our leadership abilities or whatever it may be. So that's why I think it's so important to have a coach, a consultant, someone who can help you see what you can't see. Absolutely. Um, in my work as a peacemaker, um, I see people get very angry. And once they get angry, they lose the ability to think. Their executive capacity goes out the window. And now it's all unconscious programming. And they're not even aware of how destructive that program is. It just happens. And they wonder why chaos erupts around them. And your your point's really well taken. Once you understand that you've got these programs that have been programmed into you from childhood, um, you can do something about it. But if you don't, if you're not unaware of your programming, then it, it then when you get stressed and you can no longer have control, executive function control in your brain, then that programming is going to take over. And more often than not, it's going to not be a pr- pretty sight. Yeah, no, that's that's good stuff. Yeah. Well, we're kind of getting to the end here. Uh, I have one more question for you. A little, this is a little more personal and kind of fun. Wayne, if somebody were to ask you, well, what, what, let, me, let me frame it this way. What's one thing about yourself that we would not know unless you revealed it to us? Yeah, I, I think my default answer, the first thing I, that came to mind was that uh, most people in the podcasting world, in the speaking world, assume that I'm extroverted. And the reality is I'm extroverted very high level introvert. I'd much rather be hiding in the corner with a book and a journal reading and writing. Um, so that's the very first thing that comes to mind when I think of that question. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting because I'm very introverted myself and yet I was a former trial lawyer and, you know, I'm out there in the world. What I, what I find about that is that we find, we get our energy from inside and we recharge when we can be alone to your point, reading a book or journaling, or for me playing, I'm a, jazz violinists so playing music um and the extroverts out there they just rather go out and party hardy and they're thrilled to be in a big room i hate being in big rooms with a lot of people <laughs> i don't like that at all <laughs> so i'm with you man <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time with me to have this conversation i really enjoyed it thank you doug for the opportunity Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listeningwithleaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.